0: and welcome to the Church Changer podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Lauren Berkerich and I'm one of your hosts here at Church Changer and I'm joined by my co-host and my pastor, Tim Lucas. Hey, Tim.
1: Welcome everybody. Hey, whatever area of ministry you lead at your church, maybe you're a pastor, a ministry director, if you're looking for best practices on how to lead through tectonic change, you've landed in the right place. Our heart is really just to put aside our logos and our egos, and do something great for God together.
0: And today, we're going to be talking about why church mergers are exploding and how to revitalize aging congregations. Now, before anyone listening decides to opt out and thinks, well, this conversation isn't for me— Our guest today, Warren Bird, will argue that almost 100% of churches are a candidate for a ministry merger. So if you're listening, well, that's your church. Your church isn't too small, too big, too young, too old, too urban, or too suburban to be thinking about partnerships to revitalize your church or another church in your community. And this topic is one that actually hits close to home for Tim and I. We both serve at Liquid Church in New Jersey, where we've gone through four successful ministry mergers. And it all started with what we lovingly call the miracle at Mountainside. So, Tim, do you want to share a little bit how that merger first came to be? Yeah,
1: we were about seven years old as a church, completely portable. And we were contacted by a 191-year-old church called Mountainside Gospel Chapel, very historic church. Um, probably their their greatest uh, impact was in the 50s and 60s. They had a uh, Sunday school bus ministry in the 70s. We're reaching young families. Kind of plateaued in the 80s, bleeding out in the 90s. So by the time they contacted us, they had dwindled down to 27 seniors, and they were on the verge of closing their doors. And they said, hey, some of our children, our grandchildren, in fact, attend Liquid Church. We were, again, a young church with a lot of vision, momentum, and volunteers, but no buildings. And they were an aging congregation with, hey, a building and a rich legacy, but not a lot of people and really not a vision for the future. And so— I like to say the prophet in my life, Dr. Warren Bird, <laughs> God sent him actually right before they had called us, uh, gave me his most recent book at the time, Better Together, Making Church Mergers Work. And I'd never heard of a church merger, like a ministry mm-hmm. merger, you know, and uh, really it's me this idea of a rebirth. What happens when you have an aging congregation that's gone through its life cycle of birth, growth, and then hits plateau, often decline before they close their doors. Here in New Jersey, a lot of times what happens is that church becomes uh, condominiums or they whack up a you know a little shopping center and it becomes a bagel shop. And what a tragedy for the church, right? All the spiritual legacy, the foundation of the gospel being preached in that community really is gone. And so what we learned is there's such a thing called a rebirth, a win-win. Where typically an aging church that is, you know, again has buildings or assets, joins forces with a younger congregation to rebirth the church, and it became a win-win for the for the kingdom. Um, for us, it took 30 days, which is why we call it a miracle.
0: <laughs> it really was.
1: I mean, what do you what can you vote on in the church in 30 days? The color of the carpet? <laughs> Not even. Uh, but those 27 seniors, they're my heroes. They voted unanimously to donate their building, their property, missionaries' assets and become Liquid's third campus. It was incredibly humbling. Again, we were a portable church, never had a building before. And that summer, we saw the generations come together. We had five generations, okay? We had seniors, we had boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. We all worked together to lovingly remodel the facility. We installed new technology, upgraded the classrooms. And that spring, God performed a miracle. Um, At our grand opening, Mountainside went from 27 seniors to over 1,000 people on opening day. That's why we call our miracle at Mountainside. And uh, it kind of sparked, you know, a chain reaction. We had a number of mergers after that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what's amazing today is Mountainside's our second largest location. I mean, it yes. is still thriving. Just to put yeah. that in context, it wasn't just a huge grand opening and then a fizzle. That's right. The vision that we had to bring back young families to see that campus filled with children and people and seniors, all the generations, right? That's what's living out today. That's what we see.
1: And it's exploding right now. I think post-pandemic, you're going to see this accelerating idea of ministry mergers. Um, For us, there was another church about 15 minutes away who were watching how we handled that. Was it just a land grab, you know, or like, you know, young people just trying to get the building and then, but reality is we saw as this beautiful idea of uniting the generations in a way that you don't see. We want a multi-generational church at Liquid. And so they said, hey, what if we donated our building and that became our second merger? Again, they were aging. But again, the common purpose was evangelistic. Mm-hmm. How do we reach the new families, the younger people in our community for Christ? And that led to our most recent merger uh, down in Princeton, New Jersey, about 10 minutes away from Princeton University. And we've had a small, medium, and a large merger. This was a larger one, uh, a beautiful church, Princeton Meadow Church, founded in the 70s. And we're going to talk a little bit today how so many churches are facing this succession gap. Mm -hmm. The founding pastor, Dr. Ken Smith, incredible uh, gospel uh, preacher, but didn't have a successor. And the congregation was aging, no longer reaching those young families and students. And uh, and so we went down and realized, man, what a strategic location. Ten minutes from the university. I actually did a Chipotle run with some of the students. (laughs) (laughs) It took me back to my college days. Uh, But they voted to actually give Liquid its uh, cathedral. (laughs) We'd never again had a cathedral before. It's a beautiful, beautiful building, um, about $3.5 million. And they voted to merge ministries with Liquid and rebirth their congregation to reach their community for Christ. So we just held our first baptism service there, uh, baptized some freshmen from Princeton University. And there's this beautiful generational transfer happening. Think of it this way. Boomers who are holding the money and the keys to the kingdom— are now voting to revitalize the church to reach the next generation of Zoomers for Christ.
0: It's truly inspiring. It really is, because there's this heart that they have that is just so generous. Uh, they haven't lost sight of the vision and the mission that they had, even though they're not able to achieve it now. They're looking for a new way to achieve it. And then we are coming up upon another yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> this Sunday is our yeah. fourth our fourth uh, church merger, uh, Preakness Faith Community, where the pastor there, female pastor, Pastor Jane Harland, just incredible woman of God, was a uh, pastor there for 48 years. Um, again, they saw the success of previous mystery mergers and bringing the generations together. They voted during the pandemic to give the building, and you know, we spent the last two years renovating, updating it. Um, sadly, I think she buried almost a dozen seniors during the pandemic. She is just an incredible Mm. woman who is walking with people from cradle to grave. And, uh, and we're opening up this Sunday as our grand opening. We had about 200 people at the rehearsal service, volunteers, et cetera. So we're expecting that's going to make a big impact. But all I'm saying is Merger Mysteries, we didn't write that chapter, but it's a big part of the story that God is writing at Liquid. And my guess is we have some leaders, pastors who may be in a season where this is going to be something that God uses to accelerate their growth.
0: Yeah, and just um, reiterating that, incredibly, those last two mergers actually happened during the pandemic. So COVID has not slowed down church mergers, right? It's actually accelerating that trend. But what I think is a common thread among all of these mergers that is really the most touching is the leadership of the joining church who says our heart was always to reach the next generation. So we have to be open-handed with what God has given us because ultimately— We want to see those buildings filled with children again. We want to see lives given over to Christ. We want to see baptisms, the gospel spreading in our community. It's such a sign of maturity and generosity that demonstrates such a strong love for Jesus and the gospel.
1: But, I'm just going to add a but here. (laughs) (laughs) There's
0: always one, There's always a
1: big but in ministry, okay? (laughs) Ministry mergers are not without complexity, okay? Mm -hmm. I get a lot of calls from pastors who say, hey, we're thinking of partnering, and how's this work, and it's going to happen in 30 days. There's a lot of complexity. And so today, to help navigate through that topic and to give really practical advice As you consider mystery mergers, we have an expert on the subject, my dear friend, Dr. Warren Bird. So let's go ahead and dive in. We are so excited to welcome Warren Bird to the
2: podcast. Welcome, Warren. Hey, I have just loved hearing these stories. How inspiring. This is what it is. What really matters? Lives Change for Jesus.
1: Now, those of you who don't know Warren, he is a treasure to the global church. He is the senior vice president of research and equipping at the ECFA. That stands for Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability. So you've probably read some of his research. But he's an award-winning author. I think has received the Gold Medallion Award. I know you would never mention this, Warren, but has authored or co-authored over 30 books, many on cutting edge churches is really kind of a a global expert on mega churches, multi-site and church mergers. And so Warren, you're not just a writer and researcher, you're also an ordained minister. Uh, You served on staff for 11 years at Princeton Alliance Church in New Jersey, and then taught for 15 years at Alliance Theological Seminary. So the truth is, that's just scratching the surface of his resume, Lauren.
0: It is. (laughs) Warren has
1: forgotten more than I actually know. (laughs) More importantly, Warren and his wife, Michelle, have become dear friends to Colleen and me and to the whole Liquid Church family. So we're so grateful to have you on the show. So glad you're here, Warren.
2: Thank you. And let me just respond to a couple things you've said already, but even before we get into the first question. Your experience is so widespread of what happens out there. For multi-site churches like Liquid, 4 out of 10 or 41% of campuses come by way of a merger. So multi-site growth is happening widespread largely because of ministry mergers. And for the church planters out there, those who do acquire a facility— one in five do so through a merger, a church that that gives wow. up, says, okay, we don't have a vision for what's next, but you do. So you come in, take our zoning, our facilities, our prayers, our heritage, you start it all over. So that's at least two avenues that are just flourishing as churches are saying, hey, this merger might be for us. And that's just to tease the topic a little bit as we jump into our questions. That's incredible. I remember hearing one out of three multi-site campuses
1: came out of mergers. Now it's accelerated. That's almost 41% 41%, Yeah, and then you're saying it's actually a church planting strategy. 20% of new church plants are coming through a ministry merger. Correct. Fascinating. So COVID has accelerated this, Lauren.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so continuing to lay the groundwork for our listeners um, around the state of the church, Warren, in your book, Better Together, Making Church Mergers Work, you shared a startling statistic, right? That 80% of the 320,000 Protestant churches in the U.S. are plateaued or declining. Can you help explain the phenomenon? What's happening with the church? Where are we today?
2: Okay, now you say today, so let's let's first start with pre-pandemic.
0: Okay, and
2: and everything I say, you're going to find in the book "Better Together" by Jim Tomerlin and Warren Bird, and my good colleague Jim. I, I got to do the research and a lot of the storytelling and and re, and finding, but Jim, Jim's voice is in the book, so I want to give credit to him. But but now yes, it, let's let's start with pre-pandemic. Eighty percent of churches were plateaued or declining. That means that they were either holding even or they were losing ground. Now, on the one hand, historically, that's really not that unusual. Yes, in times of revival or church planting, you know, you have these bursts. But that's a steady, and it's across denominations, it's across sizes. And, and in some ways, you go, well, is that bad? Well, Yes, my neighborhood is surrounded by people who don't yet know Jesus, and that just this morning at the gym, I invited somebody to church. So there, there's always room for one more, and we always want the growth. But many churches that, that are maintaining, even in, let's say it's a declining community where industry is leaving and people are moving out, if they're maintaining, mm-hmm. you know, that's a gain. If they are caring for shepherding the souls mm-hmm. that God has brought, that's a win. But the question is, is there more? and could, could growth happen, and could mergers tie into it? Now, before we answer any of these questions, let's talk about the pandemic. The pandemic was an accelerator of what was there. So churches that were financially fragile and yep. on the borderline of survival, mm-hmm. yep. coming out of the pandemic, it's kind of like, oh, we just, and, and sadly, so many of those churches did not during the pandemic reach out, build bridges, they kind of hunkered down and waited for the people to come back, mm-hmm. and they're not coming back. So there, there is already and there will be a significant upturn in the amount of churches that are saying, we need help, is merger one of God's options?
0: No, that's that's really good to point out that the state of the church has changed pre-pandemic, yes. post-pandemic, right? You can never... I don't think we're ever going backward. Things have changed. Hey, just a friendly reminder, everybody, as you're listening and you're realizing already that everything Warren says you want to be writing down, <laughs> <laughs> just want you to know that we are going to recap our conversation with him in our leader guide, and we'll include some extra bonus resources there for you. So don't panic. You can get your hands on that at churchchanger.com podcast.
1: Now, Warren, when we talk about church mergers, traditionally, we've heard, you know, I think people think of two declining churches coming together like in a last-ditch effort to survive. And I remember reading your book. You called it the ICU model.
2: As in intensive care unit, and we all know where that leads.
1: Yes. I remember you put it even more vivid terms. You said, imagine a husband and wife, and they're lying on a gurney in the ICU, and one reaches out their hand to hold the other, and they both die together. And I was
2: like, oh my goodness, that is not an inspiring vision. But but what's misleading is that these churches say, I'm going to take the best of you and the best of us, yes. and we're going to build together, and we're going to have a new start. But without changing the culture, it doesn't work. Historically, that model has failed, and I'm making up the statistic, but about 99% of the yeah. time.
1: Yeah, if there's not a DNA transfer, a real reboot of the culture of volunteering, of generosity.
2: It's just going to multiply. And of the... mission, of outward focused yes. mission, because when you're at that point, so often you're you're just thinking survival and how do we yeah. how are we going to handle this? The idea of, well, how am I going to reach my neighbor down the street and how are we going to reach that young family that right. just moved to town is just so far from your imagination that you don't think God can do yeah. it again. But there's a multiplier impact when you
1: have a dying church merging with a growing church. So the two dying churches saying, hey, I'll take your 15 and I have you know 40 people and now we'll have 55 people. Typically doesn't work. But if you had to take your 15 and you take my 150 or 200, all of a sudden there's a multiplier and you end up with a church of four or 500. Essentially, those two churches are at very different life stages. So what does that look like? Describe the typical leading church and joining church.
2: Okay. So when you dance, one has to lead. Right. And one has to follow. Now, Often it's the larger church, but more often it's the church with the momentum, okay. the church that is having an impact in terms of outreach and discipleship and the excitement and the buzz, and sometimes that's the smaller church that's mm. that's on a rapidly growing trajectory coming alongside a larger church that has long time plateaued and just can't figure out Mm. how do we break that next barrier? How do we, and it's become more internally focused over the years. So, but the key is, it's one church that sets the pace, that has the DNA, Mm. that is the momentum, and the other church saying, we will become you. Right, okay. And we will give up our... DNA, mm-hmm. not our spiritual heritage, not our foundation on the gospel, right. not an awful lot of things, but how we do church, there's something blocking, maybe even something toxic that's preventing us from finding that mm. new chapter, new... You know, it, it's kind of like mountain climbing. You, you go up and, you, and you're on a level, Are we are we at the peak about to go down or are we just on the level mm. getting ready to go up? And right. that discernment of where are we in the life of the church is real hard and that's where merger discussions often happen and you want to do that before those discussions before you're going way down the hill and it's crashing and people are and it's 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 often beyond the point of no return
0: so, Warren, we mentioned the impact that the pandemic has had on so many of these churches that were declining. Maybe they've reached this point of no return. So are you seeing at all a culture where those churches are more likely to embrace ministry mergers now?
2: Yes. Um, sadly, um, necessity drives certain uh, decisions, but there's also this idea of mission. We, people follow vision. Mm-hmm. and during the pandemic there have been churches and may i brag on liquid church you did hunker down and circle the wagons would not in any way describe what you did during the pandemic you use this as a strategic opportunity to say all right we got different limitations but there are lots of ways we can reach out as a church and those churches that did that are emerging from the pandemic and now they're they're the first out of the gate with the momentum and other churches who did sadly did the opposite during the pandemic are saying, please come put your arm around our shoulder, you know how can you help us out? Can we partner together? And that is only on the rise coming out of the pandemic.
1: Yeah another surprising statistic, Warren, that you share in your book with Jim, is that you believe almost a hundred percent of churches, could be a candidate for a ministry merger, which means this conversation is applicable to essentially everybody listening. So, are you saying like whether you're a church planter or a hundred year old church,
2: urban or suburban, regardless of your size, you'd be a candidate for a merger? Absolutely. And Liquid's story that you recounted at the top of this podcast plays that out. It's easy to think, oh, it's only the survival desperate churches that that you know are in e- big mm-hmm. economic trouble that go into mergers. Well, they may be a large portion, but they are certainly not all. You mentioned the Princeton example of, of we need a succession. How are we going to hand off? What if Liquid Church was the succession of becoming a candidate? That's becoming a part, a campus of Liquid Church. That's one of, I think Jim Tomerlin and I outlined 12 different motivators in the book that lead into a merger. So So given that... There may be any number of reasons. There's, there may be a church of one predominant ethnicity here and another predominant ethnicity there, and they both realize, you know, we really need to look more like what heaven's going to look like. Could we partner together, and as they partner together and there's good chemistry, could we even carry that organically further into a merger? All kinds of exciting motives for a merger, and therefore 100% of churches could either be that lead church or, or that join church or follow church.
0: Now, I, I feel like for most people listening, right, we're promising them practical tools and tips. And right. so they're wondering, okay, a hundred percent of churches, okay, we're all candidates. But how does that conversation actually happen? And I could see it as a growing church. Well, they don't want to seem predatory, like, right. oh, we're just looking to go out and take over your church. A dying church may not know who to turn to. Who do we look to? Who is a growing church? So, Warren, how does that process even okay. get started?
2: That's that's really good. And, and we're going to take a little while. We agreed before we went live. Yeah. Uh, we're going to really unpack this a bit. So first, who initiates? Yeah. Stereotype may think, well, only the—I don't know what your stereotype is, but I want to tell you, three different solid sources. One is the potential joining church saying, you know, we need help, um, and and through a relationship, um, kind of feeling out the way with churches they know. The other is a, a potential lead church reaching an arm over the shoulder of another church. How can we help? And genuinely feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim used the word er- earlier, you know, predatory or land grab and, and all that. And and yes, I've seen that a handful of times in my research. But the vast majority, the vast majority is a true kingdom motive to say, I want, you know, the tide lifts all the boats as it mm-hmm. comes up. How can I help you thrive? Yeah. And maybe it leads to a conversation that, that um, ends up being a merger. And maybe not. Maybe we just help you and love you and, and help you get relaunched. A third source is a denominational person, an outside consultant, and somebody saying, you know, I'm working with you. You really need to, mm. to do a merger. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, given my denominational authority or my consultants, you've, you've paid me and asked me to make a recommendation. Uh, let me walk you through a merger.
1: You know, I've had some pastors say, uh, you know, particularly church planners who've said, hey, Tim, mergers are a big part of your story, how you move from portable to permanent. We'd love to do the same thing. And then they start asking, like, so how do you do that? Do you go like cold calling, like knocking on the doors of churches that you see in your your five-mile radius and say, hey, you guys look like you might need some help. It always strikes pastors as so inauthentic, as something that doesn't feel relational. I think key word there is relationship. And for us, one of the big pieces is it really has to have a kingdom heart where you're saying, if nothing comes of this, we want to help other churches win. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for our church to thrive. We want all churches in our 10-mile radius of our city to flourish. And so oftentimes I'll tell those pastors when we're coaching them, I'll say, it's about actually, will you slow down to take the time to take some other pastors out to lunch and ask how you can come alongside and help them? And that may, they may say, Could we borrow a worship leader? (laughs) In two weekends, we don't have a vocalist. And if you're willing to do that and build relationship, if nothing else, you have a friendship. You've now got a gospel partner. You're saturating the city together. But oftentimes out of that, what will evolve is you're building trust together. You're having a shared sense of mission. And oftentimes that's where a merger conversation happens naturally and organically, relationally, It's not something that is, you know, you're you're necessarily being so intentional about talking about.
2: The research affirms just what you're saying. And because it's only when you have a relationship where you can say to your friend, hey, you seem really discouraged. Before you throw in the towel, let us see if we can help you out in some way. That kind of caring, genuine relationship has led to so many mergers. Yeah. We've had a number of of churches who've
1: approached us
2: who, you know, at first they
1: want to talk about a merger, but we're actually able to help them and resource them, get them back on their feet or even recommend another congregation that's a better fit. So I think in this kind of post-denominational age where it's it's much more about networks and knowing people and saying how can we be better together to take your title of your book there. I'm kind of curious um, how you see mergers as a win-win because, you know, it used to be thinking, well, one loses, one wins. But it may seem on the surface to be lopsided, but, you know, oh, the church, you know, the growing church gets a building and property, but the dying church is handing over its legacy. That's
2: actually not the case in successful church mergers. Well, so first, let's remember that not every merger is um, motivated by desperation or a we're, right. we're in big trouble. Right. There are some churches that are clipping along just fine, but they see somebody else that's, that's got a bigger vision, more momentum, and they go, wow, what if we partnered with you? Would that take us even farther? You know, the, the, the equivalent of the Jesus parable of, you know, the 30-fold, 40-fold, and 100-fold increase. Well, they've got 100-fold. You know, why not throw our lot with them and see if, if God might not do even more? So there are all levels of health across the spectrum who are motivated to merge. Um, uh, so just to frame that out.
0: So I'm curious though, cause we're talking about, you know, the positive outcomes, which of course makes a lot of, of sense, but you were talking about building relationships, but how often do those conversations happen? And honestly, the best decision is not to merge, that there isn't enough, uh, chemistry there or we're not compatible enough. I, I feel like that would be a tough decision to make.
2: It is, and that's a lot of the problem with mergers that go south. And, Tim, you alluded to the phone calls you've gotten of somebody who calls and says, yeah, we want to do this in a month. <laughs> well, generally, you can't do those chemistry checks. Um, it's not just the leaders. Now the whole congregations have mm-hmm. to kind of size it up. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like one of the mergers that I happened during the pandemic. Uh, I'll just say was in the Midwest because I don't want to identify the church. But there were three mergers that happened within three months. They were all heavily congregational, which meant that the, uh, the congregational leaders had much say about what to do. The merged model was, was a board that's distant and not connected. And so they lost all say because of the pandemic. Their building got all these uh, rehab touches. And so they come back to their facility, and it's been totally redesigned. Uh, the church took on a whole new name across this time, and uh, the the people were just bewildered, mm. and and it just was too much, too fast. Yeah, and the lead pastor, looking back, says, I, "I just thought that people could process." As the William Bridges book on changes says, "It's not change that's the challenge; it's the transition. It's yeah. not the fact of having a new boss or a new relationship with this church." It's adjusting to the new reality. And that's hard. And and that's where our book uh, has an appendix that highlights 25 issues you need to go through, yeah. theological and otherwise, to soos to s- up your compatibility level.
1: Warren, I, I often say that to people and they hear the story of uh, mountains. I say, hey, 30 days, results not typical. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, disclaimer. <laughs>
1: disclaimer. Um what is the average
2: length for that dance between a joining church and a lead church? Because it can actually go too long, though. Yeah, it can go too long and that you have too many options to pull the brake cord. The average speed is eight months, according to our research. Okay, eight to nine months, kind of like the gestational for a baby. Think of it that way.
0: Yeah, I have a follow-up question, too, that I bet a lot of people are wondering. When you're merging two churches, obviously, you have, uh, you may have two pastors. It's possible that one has lost its, its pastor. You may have two elder boards. You have just essentially two leadership groups that you're joining. Mm. What are some best practices around navigating that and determining um, who plays what role?
2: Yeah. Good question. Probably the one of the most often asked questions is what happens to the pastor of the joining church? And in the vast majority of times, according to our research, that pastor remains, but not in that role and often not at that campus. So maybe this pastor becomes a pastor of care or a pastor of missions or a pastor of small groups or some other role on another campus or once in a while in that campus.
0: Okay, that's good, that's clarifying.
2: Let me ask you this, Warren, like when you think about
1: ministry mergers and defining success, right? The end result being, hey, a healthy church that's once again reaching its community for Christ and there's harmony internally. You know, what do you, how would you define success? Is it just like, okay, the church survived and now there's X amount of more people? That's not really the heart of it.
2: Let me answer it with two stories. Uh, One from Chicago was an old, uh, in this case, Lutheran church, that was um, uh, the the average age was in their 80s. They had voted, and with permission of their denomination, to uh, merge with uh, another church, New Life, led by Mark Job at the time. And uh, now there was a ceremony, and the president of the congregation, which would be the equivalent of the chair of the board, stands up and says, "Well, at this point, I'm supposed to give you the keys to the building. I'm not going to do it." Pregnant pause. Everybody's like, oh, no, where's this going? And he reaches in a paper bag and pulls out a little plaque. And he says, you know, about 30 years ago, it was very popular for churches to come up with a mission statement. And they're all kind of like the Great Commission and the Great Commandment together, reaching the world and, and loving people. And he said, I, I'd like to give you our mission statement because that's really what's going to continue. Mm. So he hands the pastor the mission statement, and he says, and in order to carry out that mission, I think you're going to need a building to do it. So here are some keys to go <laughs> along with it. So I tell that story yeah. to illustrate the success was the true ownership of the of the pioneers, of the stakeholders, of the previous group. They got it. You know, yeah. we're starting yeah. afresh, but it's the same mission. It's what we were part of years ago, and now you yes. get a turn, and we're going to do what we can to support it. Another story from Long Island. Uh, merger I went to uh, just when the campus reopened. And I talked to an old-timer, and she had tears in her eyes. And I said, what's up? And she said, okay, I hate the music. And, and, I, and, and, I, and, I, and I said, okay, but, sure. but, but is there more? And, and there was clearly a, a but. And she said, but I have prayed yeah. for years that these balconies and the and the pews would be – Filled again and filled with young families and children at that. And today I am just moved to tears to see all the children that are going to hear the gospel because we made the decision to say, let's have a new start. So it's the fruit of a new season and a new start. It's that evangelistic heart that's behind it. It's funny.
1: I remember in our first merger when we met with their elder board and I said, hey, respectfully, I, I... don't know much about your church. Have you been to Liquid? And they said, oh, yes, we hate your music. We actually <laughs> we actually bring earplugs. And I said, I appreciate your candor. Uh, but can I ask, well, then why would you want to be a campus of Liquid? And they said, because you're baptizing our grandchildren. And what they said is they the passion for the gospel, they recognized that, you know what, the message never changes. The gospel is timeless, but our methods need to change. And so they were willing to give up their comfort in order to reach the next generation of
2: of Christ followers. And this is so critical. This is is the difference between a bank merger and a people merger. Mm. A bank merger doesn't care about the staff and all that. Mm. They care about their bottom line, which is dollars. A ministry merger cares about people and not just the people to be reached, but the people who have given their hearts and tithes and souls and Saturday workdays and everything to make this facility and the story of this church what it is today that we now entrust in you, young yes. whippersnapper, <laughs> to see can you do again yeah. what God did through us yeah. many years ago in our memory. There's humility required from both oh, sides. Yes. I mean,
1: extraordinary sacrifice from the previous generation, but humility, I think this is so important, that the, the the leading church recognizing, you know what? We're not here because we're somehow smarter or more clever or Have cutting edge. Have all the
0: answers, right.
1: We're standing on the shoulders of spiritual giants, mothers and fathers who went before us, laid a very painstaking legacy in that community. And so we're actually just joining the work that Jesus has been doing long before we ever arrived. I remember at one of our our rebirth ceremonies, um, we actually uh, had a foot washing ceremony of the previous senior pastor, as well as June Bergaller who was a 70-year-old woman who had been teaching fifth grade boys Sunday school for 45 years. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm washing your feet because you're going to be much closer to Jesus in heaven (laughs) than we are. But honoring that and saying, you have a place in our church. As a younger church, we actually need spiritual fathers and mothers who have experience miles on the odometer walking with Jesus. So for a lot younger churches, one of the blessings is receiving that spiritual maturity and depth. That will actually grow you as a church in depth, not just breadth.
0: Well, I think about some of those elders and the countless number of young people they have mentored and shepherded. It's incredible. Actually, the blending of those generations Mm. is so beneficial to everyone involved. It's really incredible.
2: And I visited the Mountain Campus with my in-laws, who are 20-plus years older than me, and June... Reached out, noticing a little gray hair uh, and her counterpart and my father and mother-in-law, and uh, made them feel welcome, yeah. which which is so important, this multi-generational effort.
0: So I want to ask you about some mistakes that you see churches make in these ministry mergers. We've alluded to some of them, right? There's not a clear leadership transfer, or maybe the merger, it's trying to be rushed, or it's taking too long, but what are some of these minefields that church leaders need to avoid?
2: The biggest one is—I'm w- just going to underscore what you mentioned—the misperceived role of the two churches. So many think it's the equivalent of a marriage merger, two mm. equal. Oh no, 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 we're the two equals. We're both doing okay. You know, we're we're both going to learn from each other, which is true. You are going to learn from each other, but. One church has to clearly say, I defer to the ministry model of what you're doing, and, and I am willing to become you. And that's more of—we we use kind of kinship language in the different models that we suggest in the book. That's more of an adoption model to say we are being adopted. And again, we may be bigger, we may be smaller, we may be older, we may be younger, but clarity on who is playing what role. Clarity in communication to the people of what's happening. There's a lot of turmoil. And what? It, I didn't know that the men's pancake breakfast that happens on the fourth Saturday of every month was going to be canceled. Now, <laughs> you didn't tell me that. Well, understanding what are we getting into and why and why that underlying mission continually of why are we doing this and, and how is it going to help get the gospel out in our community.
0: And so then how crucial do you think these ministry mergers are, if we're doing them right, are to the revitalization of the Big C Church in America, engaging the next generation? Uh, you know, is this really something we need to be leaning into?
2: Well, I've, I've already hopefully made the case, and the, the Better Together book hopefully makes the case, that every church should, should pray about, you know, is this a pathway for us? But you talk about the next generation, so let's mm-hmm. go there. They, millennials, Gen Z, they're gonna change the world. I mean, my generation talked about it and we, you know, maybe did a few <laughs> things. Their generation, they really believe they can and they're gonna do it, and which means they're willing to throw anything out and they're willing to start anything afresh. Mm-hmm. So there is not the loyalty to an institution that there was in previous generations, mm-hmm. and there is a passion for cause. Yeah. And if if your cosmometer you know is really high they will give anything time talent treasure everything to make that happen so the danger of of you know pitching a building a facility that's not what the heart about is about the vision has to remain high and and in the forefront let me land this section by giving the four questions that churches often ask And to us in consulting, and it's the only thing that we put in the book three different times because we want to make sure everybody saw it and we've gotten such good feedback on it. So let me give you four questions to ask, and that will help you discern the Lord's leading in the next step in merger for you. One, would our congregation be better by merging rather than remaining separate? So as you're exploring with someone else, would you be better by merging than Remaining separate? Second, could we accomplish more together than we could separately? Third, would our community be better served if we joined together? And fourth and finally, could the kingdom of God be further enlarged by joining together? Four good questions to think about.
0: Well, as part of our podcast each month, we wanna spotlight some churches making waves and doing great work. It's not just about giving them a shout out, but it's about pointing you in the right direction. So for anyone working in ministry, a great habit to form is taking the time to explore the work of other churches.
1: So today we wanted your take on this, Warren. I'd love for you just to share with us a church who has successfully served as a lead church within a ministry merger, revitalizing congregation in their community. What can we learn from them?
2: There are so many out there. And yes, the headlines that are fun are the disaster stories. But there are so many wonderful success stories. And we tried in the merger book to give half, you know, these are home runs and half, hey, let's learn from these. One story that's that's, uh, in the book, the fun part of uh, updating and expanding the book was I kind of went back and took all the stories that we had in the original edition and kind of said, so – What's happened in the meantime? And here's one of them that's happened in the meantime. Down in Florida and Miami 100 years ago, there was a first Baptist church type of uh, church begun reaching their community. And as they grew and the Lord blessed them, they planted other churches uh, in the surrounding area. And, and one of those in particular that became known as Christ Fellowship Miami, uh, not technically in Miami, just flourished to eight 10,000 people. Meanwhile, the old First Baptist campus um, was on a long historic decline. The neighborhood was changing. There were any number of factors. So, so along comes a certain season when the daughter church comes back to the parent and says, can we help revitalize you? Mm. And they came full circle in that now what was then First Baptist Miami and has a new name now um, has become a campus of Christ Fellowship, yet one of many campuses, and is just flourishing today and is reaching the new neighborhood there afresh with the momentum and insight from, uh, from their child helping out. It's a beautiful full-orb story. And if Jesus doesn't return, who knows what, you know, 20, 40, 50 years down the road, uh, there may be another iteration of that cycle.
1: You know, I've got a great example from an urban congregation. Uh, My friend Brad Leach, who is lead pastor of City Life Church down in Philadelphia, um, he was in our coaching network. We do a coaching network for lead pastors here at Church Changer. And in 2018, Brad was approached by a very historic uh, ethnic congregation in the heart of South Philly, about potentially merging. It's called Calvary Temple. They were in Packer Park. Again, historic, founded in 1925. And they served about 600 families um, at their height. But they had aged; They were plateaued in the 90s. And they had contracted to a congregation of about 150 people, including children. And together, Pastor Brad from City Life and Pastor George from Calvary Temple, they just started having lunch together. Brad saying, how can we help? Again, there's that organic relationship, the friendship first. But then they started dreaming, what could we do to reach a new generation of city dwellers together? And nine months later, just like you said, Warren, it's about the gestation of a baby. The two congregations actually joined forces and merged. And here's the cool part. City Life served as the lead church. They were portable. So this was the first building they ever received. It was an $8 million facility. Wow! I I just visited it with Brad. It's absolutely incredible. They received that in exchange for a symbolic $1 bill. That's That was their exchange. And Calvary Temple, the joining church, all of a sudden received this infusion of young families and singles in the urban center who had this fresh passion to reach their urban neighbors. Again, another win-win for God's kingdom. So wanna let you know, if we can help you in any way, one of the things we love to do at Church Changer is come alongside churches in transition to just share best practices and learnings, coaching, if you need help, just email us or DM us at churchchangers on Instagram.
0: 100%. Okay, everybody, now it is time for our segment, Something Fun or Something Free. On each episode of Church Changer, we always want to end on a high note. So throughout this episode, we've been referencing the book, Better Together, Making Church Mergers Work by Jim Tomberlin and our guest, Warren Bird. So we actually want to give away a few copies. That sound good to you, Warren?
2: Absolutely.
0: All right. So, guys, all you have to do to get your copy, to get your chance to win that copy, is go to our website. And, oh, Warren says he's going to sign them. He'll offer that he'll sign them. I like that. Ooh. Even better. I like that. <laughs> I think that'll give you the special, like, mojo for the book.
2: Or help them on eBay to uh, make a little money.
0: But, guys, if you want to get a chance to get one of those signed books, all you have to do is go to our website, churchchanger.com slash podcast. Download the Leader Guide for the episode, and when you do, you'll submit your email address, automatically be entered to win a copy of Warren's book.
1: Plus, let me just add, Lauren, the Leader's Guide is an awesome resource. It not only has a summary of today's episode, but it has bonus resources. We're going to include relevant links to everything we touched on, plus some discussion questions for you and your team, totally worth the download. Just to see everything we're doing, follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Church Changers. Plus, we'd love it if you follow Church Changer on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening.
0: If you enjoyed the show, leave us a rating or review. Help us get the word out. We would be so appreciative. Thanks again for joining us. We are rooting for you. We cannot wait to chat more next time.